The good news of Jesus Christ, the message, begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and, as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, The real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I am a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brian, for the reading. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. Do you hear that? I think your phone is ringing. (laughs) No, in fact, in fact, despite airplane mode, I know your phone is ringing. God is calling you. Will you answer? I want want you to take a moment and just think about that for a second. If God's name came up on your screen, take notice of what would feel reluctant in you. Would there be any, any hesitancy to swipe and answer? Take note of that feeling. Where is that coming from? How do you understand what feels reluctant in you? This isn't my first advent, so I've had a chance to talk with some people about this feeling. And I've heard plenty of people say something like what our advent book study author wrote 
in the chapter for this week. If Jesus is true, and if he wanted me, then I couldn't keep being the same as I am. If Jesus is true, and he wanted me, then I couldn't keep being the same as I am. There is something exciting and a little bit scary about Advent. Maybe not in a direct way, but in a round-the-edges way, this excitement of feeling that something is happening, something is coming. But that little edge of reluctance or of fear is, we're not really sure what it is. We have this promise, yes, it will be good, but how do we even know what we're in for? What we do know is what we'd give up. We would lose our lives as we know them. We read today from the book of Mark, right at the very beginning of the gospel, according to Mark. And one of the first things that this gospel does, well, let me ask you this question. Do you know what kind of gospel Mark is? Do you know how people would have experienced the gospel of Mark? You talked about this in Bible study? Hmm? That's right, Byron. It would have been spoken or read. It's theater. The Gospel of Mark is theater. Somebody would have been looking you in the eyes when you heard it. And they would have had strode out in the center of the flesh threshing floor or onto the darkened stage, and they would have arrested your attention within the beginning. And then the first thing that they would have read to you is something would have spoken aloud to you, looking you in the eyes, is a callback to the Gospel of Isaiah. But very important point in the Gospel, or sorry, in the book of Isaiah. Some of it is good news, but not all of it. Isaiah is really two books. You might call it First Isaiah and Second Isaiah, and the breaking point is the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of 40. There's this breaking point of before the exile and what's leading up to the exile in Babylon, and then there's this big gap in time. And then in chapter 40, we start talking about after, on the way out, the promise of God that will lead us out to exile. So these words that John is speaking and these words that are spoken about John, this person is calling out in the wilderness, is a symbol of the end of exile. But of course, I can't just start at the beginning of the book. I have to read the prequel. So I went back and I read, what is it that's going on in the chapter just before this happens? That this prophet stands in the wilderness And there's this little story in the book of Isaiah about Hezekiah the king. And it's a weird story. And 
One of the verses at the very end of the story is one where I looked and looked and looked to see what people smarter than I might have to say about it. And wouldn't you know they tended to leave it out, which only gets my attention more. Hezekiah has an experience of illness, illness almost to the point of death, and calls for God to spare his life, and God does. And he is so relieved that his life has been spared that when emissaries come from Babylon to visit him, he's proud to open his place to them and to show them everything that he has And then his prophet comes along to advise him and says, what what are you up to, Hezekiah? Don't you know that those emissaries you just met are the beginning of the end of this kingdom? Don't you understand that your own children will be slaves to their kingdom? And here's the part that sticks in my attention and gets left out. Hezekiah says, phew, not in my lifetime. Can you believe it, Frank? How does he get away with that? Not in, phew, not in my lifetime. How many of us have had a feeling like that about a project we've been involved in or an institution to which we have pledged ourselves. Well, if it has to go away, at least not in my lifetime. At least not in my lifetime. Hezekiah is grateful, as many of us can be, that change won't touch him. Not so for us. You and I, we have been made part of God's community in an era when change is touching us. And God is making God's home among us and calling us to a change of heart and life in our own lifetime. The whole discipline of which I am a part is about this. In fact, we have to take a vow, don't we, that we're going to be made perfect in love in this lifetime with God's help. It's happening here and now. It's not some future generation. It's us, and we're part of this huge cultural change and this huge religious change that is happening We have to acknowledge that what we have been doing worked about once. The boom in religious attendance and participation that built this building in which we worship, it got passed on about once. And there was a resurgence in the following generation. But that's it. That's it. And since when we go and talk about uh, management strategies or different techniques for doing this thing that we have been doing, but doing it slightly more effectively, slightly more efficiently, what we're addressing is not really a core change. 
At the core, we're still trying to do it exactly as it has been done. But something is happening. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. There's a promise that it will be good, but we don't know what it looks like. We're being called together corporately as to a change of heart and life. I wonder what that feeling of reluctance to answer the phone felt like for you. We're all a little bit different. Our personalities and our life stories have been different. We've been different through different things to get to this place. We talked a little bit about it in our Advent discussion group that maybe many of us don't struggle with a feeling of lack of safety or of threat. Maybe, maybe that voice of doubt is not so present at the front of our minds. But there are other pernicious ways that reluctance shows up. One of them that I think is so incredibly common these days is another way of understanding the word that I named this Advent series after, engaged. Busyness. Busyness. I know if God called me on the phone this week, I'd be a little bit reluctant to answer because I've already got a lot of appointments on the calendar. <laughs> Let's see, God, when can I fit that in? In fact, I've been having some conversations with my colleagues about what it might be like to be leaders in this new thing that God is doing. And we all agree. It's going to ask a lot of us more than we can possibly do and still do everything the way we've been doing it. And that busyness is great for putting things off. Busyness is one thing, but there's also just that feeling of overwhelm. Do you remember in the first um, experiences of coming out of seclusion when the threat of COVID had been met by some treatment, right? And we were able to do things socially again, just how tiring it was. Yeah, it's easy to get overwhelmed these days. And maybe overwhelm is another way of noticing the reluctance in us to answer when God is calling. What are all the things that we're letting in? What are all the things that have engaged our attention so that it is not available for God? John's showing up in the wilderness is this voice that's supposed to call to us, a sign, a symbol that's supposed to call us to this intentiveness of Isaiah chapter 40, which is the gap after Hezekiah, whew, not in my lifetime, and his words of comfort for a people who will receive the promises of God because they have paid their debt and then some. They're words of comfort and of hope for people who have been in exile. So what does it mean for the people who heard John the Baptist preach? It means that he was telling them that they were living in exile. 
What does it mean for us to be a church that is challenged to hear these words this morning? It means that we have to call what we've been living in exile. There has been much that is good, and there is much we give thanks for. But this experience we've been having is one of exile. The revolution has already happened. The millennials and the youngers, for the most part, are not here. I mean, I'm here and I'm a millennial, but that doesn't really count. Right? The revolution has already happened. We, who are here, we are the ones like John, not like Hezekiah, but like John, who occupy the change. We are the prophets who hear what God is calling us to, who know the promises who know how good this is and how worth it it has been for us to be here, but who are also speaking aloud words that promise that what comes after today will not be like yesterday. This is hard news, yes. It's hard news. What is the good news? This is another quote from the Advent book we've been reading by Will Willimon. Here's what he says. If, if God has blessed you with some holy discontent, if you expect that this world as good as it often is, is not as good as it could get, if you find it hard to sleep at night after you've seen the gaunt faces of those hungry children on the news, or we might say a footage of the wars, or you get so angry you could scream when you see the bruises under the makeup of the woman next to you in the grocery store checkout line. If, then John's appearance is good news. Better than this is what God has planned for us. Better than this. Can you hear it? Your phone is ringing. I think it's God. Will you answer?